good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn your Bibles tonight to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24, I mentioned on this past Lord's Day, we're going to start a a series looking at the uh, types and shadows in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Uh, That structure uh, that God instructed Moses to oversee the building of as he would come and meet with his people. We're going to read uh, from verse 15 of Exodus 24 reading down through into chapter 25. So Exodus 24 and verse 15, uh, let's hear the word of the living God. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them. Gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and shitting wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Amen. May God indeed bless his word. We do believe that every part of God's word is beneficial for our learning, that has been given to us by God to encourage us and instruct us in the ways of righteousness, showing us our Savior and showing us our sin and showing us the way of salvation. The tabernacle and instructions concerning the tabernacle make up a very significant body of the biblical text. Really, from Exodus 25 through to the end of the book, uh, there is uh, much details regarding the instructions for the tabernacle and, of course, also for the garments of the priest. But yet such a study is perhaps falling out of popularity in many evangelical circles. We have the New Testament after all. Why would you study a portion such as this? What is the benefit of it? These are types and shadows. What do we learn from such things? Well, of course, in the detail there is so much to instruct the people of God. We see the holiness of God. And we see how God can show mercy and grace to sinful man. And we see how God fulfills his redemptive purposes. We see the importance of blood atonement. All these things are, are being taught to the people of God in the wilderness. If you're going to understand the book of Hebrews, well, then you've got to understand some of the language of this latter section of Exodus. But especially in such a study, we should look for 
and see your Saviour. There is much benefit in seeing the types and shadows as they show us some precious details regarding Christ and the fulfillment of these things in the person of Jesus Christ. We should look and we should see how God meets with sinners. And that's the purpose, therefore, isn't it? Verse number 8 of chapter 25. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. How does God come and dwell among sinful men? And that's what we want to grasp here. We meet here week by week in the prayer meeting. On what ground does God meet with us? What hope do we have that God would come and be present amongst us here, a bunch of sinners? Well, we learn from these things, the principles that govern our prayer meetings week by week in God's house here. Now, tonight, all I want to do is really introduce the subject with some general concepts General concepts that will then undergird the very particular details that we have. We have details of color and material and construction and such things. And the details are are important. But there are principles that will govern how we determine the significance of the details. First of all, I want you to think about this as being a work of God's initiation. Verse 16 of chapter 24 and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And the, sixth day, the seventh day he called unto Moses. For six days Moses had been in the glory of God. Hard to imagine what that experience must have been like. But he's there for six days. And on the seventh day God speaks. And faced with the glory of God. Moses is not going to come up with some suggestion to God. Rather, what happens when a man of God is in the glory of God, their ears are waiting to hear what God would say. If you have no desire to hear what God says, you have no real grasp of the glory of God. To be in God's presence is to want to hear what God would say. And so in chapter 25 it begins, And the Lord spake unto Moses, And even in verse number 8, he speaks with the initiative that he may dwell among them. It is all God's sovereign initiative here. The tabernacle was God's idea. The tabernacle is God's plan. The tabernacle is in the very purpose of God. And as we'll see, it is the place where God meets with sinners. And that meeting takes place upon the initiative of God. It is not sinners taking their first step. It is God condescending to meet with sinners. We would never meet with God unless he condescends to meet with us. And the language of our confession of faith, chapter 7, deals with God's covenant with men. And chapter 7 in the paragraph 1 says this, The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward. Listen but by some voluntary condescension on God's part. No blessing, no fruitfulness in the relationship with God unless God had voluntarily condescended to meet with them. The tabernacle is the place where the covenant of blessed condescension is displayed. Let me say it again. The tabernacle in the wilderness is the place where God's 
blessed covenant of condescension is displayed. Turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 9. Now, I mentioned you're going to have to understand the tabernacle to understand Hebrews properly. Uh, and Hebrews 9 is uh, one such chapter. In Hebrews 9, and the verse number 2 speaks of the tabernacle, for there was a tabernacle made. There's a veil. The tabernacle, verse 3, called the holiest of all. But down in verse number 18, it says this. Whereupon neither the first testament, now speaking back to verse 17, the testament, of course, uh, being the word for covenant, the covenant here in view being that made with Moses, while neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses spoke in every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So as God is ratifying covenant, he does so through bloodshed. And the blood is the blood of the covenant. That's always the case. Every divine covenant is ratified by blood. And so as God enters covenant with his people through Moses, it's ratified by blood. And the people are sprinkled and the book of the covenant are sprinkled. But note also in verse 21, the tabernacle and the vessels are also sprinkled. And so the tabernacle is the place of covenant. There are the people of the covenant. Uh, there is the, uh, the book of the covenant, like the precepts of the covenant. But there's also the place. And the place is the tabernacle. And so what you see right at the very beginning is that through God's initiative, he makes covenant. And in that covenant, oh dear, listen to your sinner. In that covenant, he is pleased to meet with sinners. It's the very essence of the covenant of grace. That God will condescend in his grace and meet with sinners through the shedding of blood. God comes down and meets with man. You see, the distance between God and man is so great that it had to be that way. God is the creator. Man's a creature. God is the infinite God. Man is finite. God is supremely holy. Man totally sinful. What distance? What distance? And thus in the tabernacle we see the grace of God in coming down to meet with man. Verse 1 of chapter 25 of Exodus. These are words of grace. And the Lord spake unto Moses. That's covenantal grace. And that God is unchanging. And that God still condescends to meet with sinners through blood that's been shed. Not the blood of rams or goats, but by the blood of his everlasting son. God's initiation encourages us in this tabernacle construction. God's instruction, though, was also seen in the second place, chapter 25, Exodus, and the verse number 9. According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. As there is no hint of suggestion on Moses' part, so there is no hint of invention. The method whereby God meets with man is of God's doing. Sinners need to understand that it's not up to their conjecture as to how they choose to worship God. How the modern church needs to hear that again. 
It is not up to man to be inventive as to how they choose to approach God. Thirteen times in Exodus 39 and 40, we read the words, As the Lord commanded Moses. As the tabernacle is constructed, each and every piece of the furniture is constructed, and it says, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses. That's the way it ought to be. Then when it comes to worship, it is to be in truth. Truth regarding content and truth regarding the manner of worship. Now, you know this, but we're never far away from being careless when it comes to approaching God's worship. We take little thoughts as to what we might deem to be appropriate to include. Surely it's a good idea to put an ark on a cart. It's an easier way to carry it. But Uzzah died. Surely any fire would be acceptable to God. But God calls a strange fire and Nadab and Abihu you're punished with death. Colossians chapter 2, Paul condemns will worship. Worship according to God's commands, no invention, the worship of God, the tabernacle speaks to us tonight. I think the language of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, turn, turn there quickly, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and you will see that while Solomon is speaking of the temple, the principles still hold fast. That the commands that God gives in temple worship, they apply to us today. And we're told, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thine mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. We're to be careful as to what we say in public worship as we come to the house of God not rash, not careless but reverent and careful now that does not at any point excuse us from not engaging in such prayerful worship Hebrews 10 also draws uh, upon tabernacle imagery and Hebrews 10 the verse number 19 tells us having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. So yes, we have words that are few, but yet we do not stand back outside the house of God, but we come with boldness, with our true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So tabernacle imagery teaches us regarding this matter of approach. We come by blood. We come sincerely. We come believingly, having been justified by faith. But we do not come carelessly. We do not come without having our sins forgiven. We do not come bringing our own will worship to God. So you see, even these introductory marks in the tabernacle, there is so much to instruct us regarding how we come to God in the house of God here. There is God's initiation. There is certainly God's instruction. But the tabernacle also gives us God's illustration. A picture says a thousand words. And the tabernacle is a pictorial lesson in the gospel. 
And as we see it constructed in the Word of God, we imagine that thing being put together. We, we, see, we see the gospel in picture form here. I want to show you just briefly the names that are used for the tabernacle giving in the Word of God. And even these names themselves, as we introduce this thing, even these names themselves point us towards the gospel. Verse number 8 of Exodus chapter 25, you'll see the word sanctuary there. Let them make me a sanctuary, a holy place. The word that's used there is the word that's derived from the regular word for holy. This place is set apart for God for holy use. Verse 9, it's called a tabernacle. After the part of the tabernacle, verse 9, it's a dwelling place. It's from the word to dwell or to reside. It's a holy place set apart for God. It's a place of dwelling, but dwelling for God. It's a tent, chapter 26, and the verse number 36 is used in that way. And thou shalt put the mercy seat, sorry, verse number 36, and thou shalt make a hanging for the door of the tent. There's the word tent used. It speaks of a temporary structure, uh, not like the, or the temple, but rather the, the tent, a temporary structure. Verse 20, you know, verse 42, sorry, chapter 29. Exodus 29, verse 42. Here is called the tabernacle of the congregation. And this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. There's a fourth term. It's a place where God meets with his people. That's there as well. Chapter 38 of Exodus and the verse number 21. Let's see what's called here. And this is the sum of the tabernacle, even of the tabernacle of testimony or witness or law. The testimony refers to the tables of stone, the law of God given to Moses. The tabernacle was a place where God's law was to be contained. Sanctuary, tabernacle, tent, tabernacle of congregation, tabernacle of testimony. Oh, what's all this teaching us? Well, it indicates that in this wilderness wanderings of the people of God, God set apart this structure as a temporary place where he taught the people how he would meet with them and dwell with them without disregarding his law. He was going to meet with them, but he was not going to ignore the law. He was going to meet with them in this place, a place that was temporary in its very origination. It wasn't meant to be the final plot part. It was pointing forward to something else. But yet it was something that was teaching the people a lesson regarding how God would meet with the congregation without putting aside the law. A place where propitiation was secured through the service of a mediating, a mediating priesthood, a type pointing forward to an anti-type. Now, there are a number of different ways. We'll see that a number of different ways in which imagery is fulfilled, but they all center upon Christ and his work. Turn, please, to John chapter 1. You see, as we study the tabernacle, we are to direct our eyes towards a greater fulfillment. We're to look away from the temporary structure to the eternal structure. And Christ and his work Christ is the fulfillment of this tabernacle. John chapter 1 and verse 14 says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And the word dwelt here is the word akin to the word for tent or tabernacle in the New Testament Scriptures. The verb used here is of the same word group as a noun used for tent or tabernacle elsewhere in the New Testament. In other words, Christ's coming is described as tabernacling. That is the ultimate grace of condescension. God sent his Son to meet with men, to tabernacle with men, pointing us to the truth that Christ is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. And you'll see that over in Hebrews chapter 9. Look there, please. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, verse 9. The opening words of Hebrews 9 deal with the, uh, the first tabernacle and the furniture and the various things that are there, the cherubim, the mercy seat, all of these things are there. And this is verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present. It was to be an instructive picture lesson for the people in the wilderness. Oh yes, they offered both gifts and sacrifices, but they could not make him that did this perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Verse 11, But Christ being come, and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Christ who came, when the Holy Ghost came upon the Virgin Mary and Christ comes with a building made with the very hands of God and he comes forth and his body and his work, they are the fulfillment of the types and shadows of the tabernacle. And we're going to see that. So therefore, as we study the shadow, we've got to look for Christ. Where is Christ in this construction? He's pictured here for us. When you go back to Hebrews chapter 8, you see that even beyond that, there is the imagery in the tabernacle of heaven itself. And of course, Christ is where, or heaven is where Christ dwells, and there is no contradiction here. That as a tabernacle points to Christ, so it points to heaven, for Christ is our heaven. And it says there in verse number uh, 1 of Hebrews 8, And of the things which is spoken, this is the sum, we have such an high priest who sat on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched on not man. Over in chapter 9 of Hebrews, in the verse 24, it says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. How are you to understand the types and the shadows? Well, you must understand them in terms of what the New Testament says about these types and shadows. That we're to see Christ in them. We're to spend excessive time deliberating over various details. Paul himself says, of which we cannot now speak particularly, verse 9, or verse 5 of chapter 9. We're to look beyond the details and we're to get to Christ and see Christ in the glory. Christ in his person fulfills the pictures of the structures. In his work, he fulfills the pictures of the priestly service. Christ tabernacles among men in a tabernacle so that he could enter his heavenly tabernacle. You see that? Christ comes in tabernacles. So then his own tabernacle of his flesh, he could then enter that final eternal tabernacle, the ultimate fulfillment whereby God condescends to meet and dwell with sinners. 
I want you to turn, please, to Numbers chapter 2, and this will finish. Numbers chapter 2. Because in light of God's illustration, it is no wonder that when the people of God were told to camp, they were told to camp in a particular way. Numbers 2, verse 2, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their father's house far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. What's involved here is that when they camped, they were to camp round about the tabernacle. In other words, they were to encircle the tabernacle. In other words, the tabernacle was to be the center of the people. And if Christ fulfills the tabernacle, then in that very simple lesson, we have the spiritual devotional lesson that we must ensure that we keep Christ in the center of our lives. You've got to wear things that push Christ out of our lives. There are many legitimate things that if we are not careful, they will push Christ to the periphery. Things that are righteous and honorable, work and family and other such things that may dominate our attention, but if we're not careful, they become so dominant in our lives that Christ is pushed to the periphery. And in the types and the shadows here, as the people of God are told to encamp around the tabernacle, so we're told to keep our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That we're to ensure that wherever we go or whatever we do, Christ is in the center of it all. Where we travel, who we're with, what we do, we have Christ in the very central place of primary importance in our lives and in our worship. These are simple lessons. We see them right on the very surface before we get to the details. The tabernacle is God's initiative. And so we will never meet with God when he meets with us. The tabernacle is God's instruction. We must meet with God as he commands. And the tabernacle is God's illustration. He meets with us through the person of Christ. He meets with us through the shedding of Christ's blood. And may the Lord help us to meditate upon these things afresh and to encourage our souls in the gospel of his own dear Son. Amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170. Or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.